Have you ever felt that panicky pang when you see a column of smoke rising high into the sky and there's no dirty factory for miles around? Well, if it's springtime, hopefully it's just someone burning yard waste. Better yet, you could be witnessing a controlled burn, a prescribed fire. Welcome to Under Rocks, I'm Susan Stevens. And today, we're going to follow the smoke and see how the pros do it and find out why it's so important to our prairie ecology. We managed to get ourselves invited to Jack Pizzo's house near DeKalb. He's the owner of Pizzo & Associates, a company that restores and manages natural areas. He and his crew were ready to set fire to his 38 acres. Dan Libman, Jared Ortega, and I suited up. Okay, the yellow's a shirt. You put on the, the hard hat. Synthetic fabrics melt to your skin. That's why we're all dressed in Nomex or uh, um, uh, natural fibers. I often say to people that, you know, fire is like what they say crack cocaine is. It's addictive. Because uh-huh. once you get out here and you see it and then come back and see what it does for all the plants in the ecosystem, you're like, this is the coolest thing in the world. And, and they Some want, might call that pyromania. Yeah. In other, if, know, if you were doing it, yes. If you were doing it in, a, in an uncontrolled setting, yes. But this is prescribed fire, which the prescription is to do good for the environment safely. Okay. All right. And so the process is, describe the process. So what we do is we write a plan, usually laying it out on an aerial uh, photograph, we get the necessary permits, and the, obviously we have the permission of the owner to burn the property. Um, in this case, it's your property. In, yeah, in this case, it's my home. Okay. Um, and we plan for the days writing, in writing the prescription, just when is a good burn day for this property. So in this case, we're, uh, we're burning on a day with a southwest wind, which allows us to get the bulk of the property burned before it could ever be near my house in the event of an escape. So we're planning for ecosystem, but also for safety, because uh-huh. safety is, is job one. It's a really strong wind, though. Yes, is so that, that uh, not, not in this case, because what we're doing is burning against the wind. Okay. So the, it's pushing against the fire, and you can see now out there where there used to be big flames, there's yes. almost nothing, you can't see it. Flames are creeping. When we go and light it with the wind, that's going to be a whole different kind of fire. That's called a head fire. Okay. And that will be much bigger. Um, but we only do that once we're safe and we've created a break. So we're breaking the, the fuel leg of the fire triangle, which is heat, oxygen, and fuel. If you break one of the legs, you the fire doesn't go. And breaking the fuel leg is basically burning up the, the, the leaves and stems or raking to bare ground or spraying a um, uh, some fire retardant around there so we end up making it so that the, the fuel can never get to the ignition temperature. Gotcha. So that's breaking the heat uh, heat leg. How many guys on the crew? So there are eight out there now for burning f- uh, just under 40 acres. Okay. Any, any guess on the temperature of those flames? 218. 400. 950 degrees. Now, okay. It's hotter than when you're boiling yeah. sap. What I want you to do, uh, we'll, 
Let's walk over here. So you're walking in the black. And there's a saying in fire that says, keep one foot in the black. Because this is safe. There is no fuel to burn here. But that's 950 degrees right there in those orange flames. And if we can come up close to here. So I want to ask you, white means hot, right? What temperature do you think the soil is right now? If 950 degrees just passed over it. I mean, I'm not feeling it, so. Yeah. Watch. Okay, so look, put your, put your hand down right there. Take your glove off, put it right here, go ahead. Yeah, look. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's cold. Go ahead, try it. All right, slide That's the creepiest thing I've ever felt. Why is that? Because the fire has no residency time. So it's no residency in that it, it, it's on it and then it's gone. So it doesn't heat up the ground. So the top, you know, millimeter might get hot, but after that it stays cold. So underneath there, you know, if you were to walk over and move the ash, you could use the thermometer and see that the, the temperature of the soil is about 55 degrees. Wow. Maybe even cooler. Wow. Yeah, the frogs seem fine. What's your role today? Uh, I'm bouncing all over the place. Backpacks, ATVs, torching. Do you also tell them like what's the next segment, the time and the weather? Yeah, like yep. Tagging it all. WNIJ DeKalb Rockford, WNIQ Sterling, WNIW LaSalle, and WNIE Freeport, where you learn something new every day, streaming live online at WNIJ.org. That's, That's six the months. I haven't done that for six months. edge on the brake where it's been mowed. So the fire, if it's creeping backwards, you don't even have to use water. You can just put it out with your, with your foot. Want to go step on some fire? No. Okay. Okay, I walked into where there was a fire 20 seconds ago. Yeah. Kicked some this. of the ash with my foot in a circular motion, touched it, and it's cold to the touch, the ground. Wow. And there's a fire about, I'm gonna step out. I mean, I'm not afraid, but I'm just... Yeah, I'm gonna step on this fire. Look at that, Sue is putting out fire. Yeah, that was fun. This is, wait, my pants are falling off. I got a small, I think I got Spencer's pants. I think I also got Spencer's pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish Spencer was here to enjoy his pants. When, uh, when you do it right, it's really satisfying. Everybody goes home safe, sound, clients happy, the resources benefit. Some more. 
So let's let's set the the scene a little bit. We're, yeah. We've returned. I think it's almost four weeks since we saw the burn. And uh, Spencer wasn't here last time. He's he's the new Jared, and Jason's back. He was in a fire suit, and Jack, mm-hmm. you were in a fire suit. Right. You know, we wanted to come back. You know, and see the springtime weather, but it's Illinois, so of course it <laughs> it snowed yesterday. Right. And there, well, was, it was, there was snow on the ground this morning. Yeah. 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 Actually, it was snowing when I drove up here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can see that it's green. It definitely doesn't look like a burned out prairie. So what have you seen happening? What you, take us through the stages after a burn. What so happened? think of a prescribed fire as a spring cleanup. Okay. That, you know, most people blow the leaves out and then they haul them away because they want the sunshine to the ground so the plants can get light and heat. Right. Well, let's just, we don't rake the leaves out of the way. We just burn them out of the way. That's and more efficient. Yes. And so now it's black or the soil is exposed so that if the weather's warm, we see things start to grow very rapidly. You know, it's two to three days after the burn, I started to see green. Okay. And those are the sedges, which are the grass-like plants that are out there. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, we started to see the grasses. But because of the temperature, it's been a cool spring. Yeah. I haven't seen much moving up. But, you know, all it'll take is, you know, this coming week, you know, and into next week, it's going to be warm during the day. Really? Which is going to push a lot of stuff up and out of the ground. You guarantee that? You're I, guaranteeing? I guarantee you that. Okay. Um, but I'm you know, beginning to see all the things pop up. And from here, it kind of looks homogenous. But when we're walking out there and you look down, right. and you'll attest to this, yeah. you're like, oh my God, the, all the different colors of leaves and different leaf shapes are, you know, pretend the the explosion that's going to come we just can't you know you don't recognize like i can recognize the slightly reddish foliage outside the window okay that's green and red those are golden alexanders okay which is a member of the parsley family which is very hard to differentiate at first when you're doing early season spraying it can really show us a lot of different things too right to get an ecological eye is the best of the world and the worst of the world Hmm. So you look at a traditional landscape and everything seems ordered and organized, you know, tree here, flowers there, you know, it's really not because you cross the property line and, you know, prairie garden here, you have a Japanese garden and you have a lava rock garden and you have, you know, asphalt and concrete. Out in nature, nothing happens by accident. So once you understand that, that it's the soil it's the topography, the, the, the slope which the land lays, it's the uh, moisture regimen, the hydrology. Then you look at everything and you go, ah, if this is the, the, the conditions for where I am, I should see X, Y, and Z. And then you begin to notice patterns. And suddenly the chaos that most people think is nature is very organized. So the plants that grow in the, in the water with their roots deep in the water do not grow up on that dry gravelly soil and vice versa. So you begin to walk around and you're like, oh, I'm beginning to see how nature is very organized. Right, and so it's almost a question of you harnessing that organization. Yeah, and, and, and we do, we, we, we take that and we can say when, like this was a bean field when I bought the property. Okay. And so now it it's ecosystem. Right. 
And did you have you planted these prairie all, grasses? All so this is all deliberate and all deliberate with an eye towards restoration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, the the organization, the, the the way you organize restoration, is you look at the soils, and the topography, and then the hydrology, which is the way the water moves, and then you pick the right plants to go there. Mm -hmm. So if there was a wet area, you would have like hibiscus planted out there right. as opposed Rather to than one. Yeah. Lousewort. And I love the names in, in the, the... I like that. Yeah. Well, the, best, the best native plant name, yeah. I think, should be a garage band. Yeah. And that's Mad Dog Skullcap. Mad Dog Skullcap. Yeah. 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 It seems right. like it should be a whiskey or... Right, yeah. There, yeah. there you go. Yeah, you could... Yeah, that would be. That would be some real good whiskey names. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mad, Mad Dog by, Skullcap. Uh, Scutellaria <laughs> Lateriflora. The craft whiskey owned by James Hatfield of Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, we, we, you know, we look at that, and then we put the plants there, and then, you know, you don't get 100% germination on every seed, and you just put them out there, and you yeah. manage to, it, and this is not about making native plants grow. If you put the right plants in the right place, they'll thrive. Mm -hmm. It's about making non-native plants not grow. So that's most of what we do, right? Yeah. And it's funny, too. Um, I, I know a few natives, but I kind of remember from your seminar earlier it's more about knowing what's not native probably is most important, right? Getting all of that out of the way right. so everything else can Because then you can look at, at it and go, point. okay, these are the bad plants, and if I keep them under control or eradicate them, then the native plants explode. Gotcha. Because every flower that's out there is designed to be a reproductive mechanism. Mm -hmm. When it flowers, then it sets seed, then those seeds go off, and each seed head produces, you know, 100 seeds or 500 seeds, and so there's 500 potential new plants. So it's, it, I had this idea that you were landscaping, but you're really not landscaping. Yeah. You're just sort of, you're what, you looked at what's here and you're trying to allow that to happen again. The, we're putting the native plants back in the ecosystems that they belong. And Jack would be able to tell you this better, but I just know from my father-in-law, who's a farmer, back in the 40s and 50s, they were planting honeysuckle along the edges of fields and railways as a natural barrier. It's invasive, uh -huh. spreads like wildfire. Now every forest preserve you walk into, there's honeysuckle every four or five feet. It's yeah, terrible. During, during World War II, when uh, they they couldn't spend the and didn't want the resource of uh, of steel going into uh, uh -huh. barbed wire, they planted multiflora rose. Right, multiflora rose. I'm gonna say and, we have a ton of that on our farm. And if any of you have ever run into multiflora rose, yep. you know it will always go for the softest skin on your body. Correct. So the inside of your yeah. thighs, the end of your nose, you know, the back of your ears. I mean, I've I can't tell you how many times I've been like, "What's this?" And all of a sudden, I'm like, "Well, there's how did a contract." Thorn get back there? six miles north of here. Um, I think in Kingston. Yeah. All multifloral rose. Uh -huh. Nothing but multifloral and you, rose. It's, and eradicating it is you, you can't just cut it. It's Right, I mean, you have to. Do well, some some stuff is so. Um, the goal is to find the the chink in its armor, and and in this case, um, the goal is always to never let them reproduce. So you don't let them set seed. For an annual plant like ragweed, mm -hmm. which is native but aggressive, we make sure that we don't let it grow and set seed. So that's an annual plant. So then the perennials grow together and take over the ground and prevent that annual from ever coming up again. Okay. Um, perennials uh, or biennials. Biennials would be like uh, Queen Anne's Lace, which 
is called wild carrot, which is the actual species you eat is carrots. Um, that has a rosette of leaves the first year, and then second year it flowers, and the whole plant dies, and it sets seed. Hmm. So if we, we could spray it when it's a rosette, or we can brush cut it at ground level when it's in full flower the second year, and then it's gone. Okay. Um, and then perennials, uh, like reed canary grass or multiflora rose, those things have to be cut and treated or just treated. Is treated just, is that chemicals? Chemical, or is, yeah. Chemical. Okay. So, you know, we get some people that, that talk about glyphosate being bad, um, but the science at this point isn't there yet um, to say that this is, you know, a, uh, a, a chemical that's deleterious to the environment because... If you walk out here in a couple days when it's warm, you might be able to hear them today. But I treated that whole wetland because it was once 100% reed canary grass. Now you walk out there and there's 100,000 western chorus frogs. Mm. Um, we and, heard them when we were burning. We heard yeah, them. yeah, yeah. I mean, you could hear that chorusing of the frogs. Yeah. So we always go to the least amount of chemical at the right time. Right. And the goal is to get to no chemical use. But... We're smart enough to know that if you get rid of the bad stuff quickly, nature restores really fast. Right. Okay. What other fauna are you seeing around here? Is fauna the right word for I, animals? For animals, okay. what, I've seen. What other animals have you seen? One hundred and sixty species of birds on this property. What? What about like since the burn? After everybody left the day of the burn, mm -hmm. I saw three species of hawk within, or raptors within. A minute of each other so pretty soon so we could see that there were actually hawks hovering in the air when we were doing the burn because mm. they were waiting for the mice to run out or rabbits to run out right ahead of the fire nobody taught the the, the hawk that that's instinct mm -hmm. knows that if there's fire up there something's gonna come running out and I might get a tea wow. so it's pr pretty cool um, I've seen blue wing teal green wing teal mm. um, mallard what else was out there? Shoveler, Canada goose. We had some sandhill cranes here. What else? Uh, so 160 species of birds have been here, and I'm in the middle of 38,000 acres of corn and beans. Uh -huh. And that just tells me, you know, if you build it, they will come. Right. Um, three species of snake. We've had the corn snake, the eastern garter snake, and the uh, uh, black racer. Um, we had badger. Well, take you over and show you the badger holes. Okay, they're, I remember. They're, they're active. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, I mean, butterflies out the monarchs start coming. They'll probably be here the end of the month um, because the milkweed will be up, and they're here visiting that milkweed when it's just popping right. out of the ground. Um, I have the meadow jumping mouse, which is, looks like a little kangaroo, about that big. Really? Yeah, and you see them hopping through here. So it, it is, is burning, uh, is it a permanent thing? Are you going to burn next year and yep. the year after burn that and the year after that? Yeah. There's, is, there's not going to be a point where you say, I'm done burning. Nope. This is Nope. Because it, it always approves it. Our ecosystems are not fire tolerant. They're fire dependent. Um, and if our listeners are, are you know, I'm sure, inspired to maybe do this for their own property mm -hmm. that they've sort of been neglecting, maybe got a little timber or something mm -hmm. like that, what should they do? How, the, fir the first thing um, if there is, to, is to get an ecological assessment, to know what they have. Have a professional come take yeah. a look at it. So you need, you need to look at it and say, here's what the good stuff is, here's the bad stuff. 
you know, so simply get rid yeah. of the bad stuff, keep the good. Um, fire is one of the tools that you can use early in, mm -hmm. in the restoration process. So oak, oak hickory woodlands that are dominate the side of, uh, of Lake Michigan, they love fire. Mm -hmm. And the more you fire you put through there, but you got to get like the brush out from around the edges to let the wind in. And if you get the wind in, you'll get a hotter fire. And believe it or not, young oaks and hickories love fire because mm -hmm. it takes away all the brush. And even if you burn off a little oak, that thing goes right. and takes off and can grow six feet in a year. Wow. Um, so that and then uh, know what you have in terms of it, it, like in the oak hickory woodlands, for example, um, or savannas. You, would, you might have all the spring flowering ephemerals, but you're missing the summer and fall flowering species because the brush has closed everything in and there's enough light in the spring, but there's not enough light summer and fall. Mm -hmm. So you might be a point at which you get, uh, uh, you might have to add species that way by seed or plugs that are summer and fall flowering. Okay. Um, in, in the case of my property, it's, it, you know, there's nothing left. You know, it's all bean field. So now we just have to figure out, you know, where the dry areas are, where the wet areas are, and then plant the appropriate seed and then do the management thereafter. I can't remember if we asked you this before. We probably did. But how many, how many times, how many years have you burned it? How many, this is... I have been burning since 2001. Okay. So 21 years. 21 years. And um, you don't need to mentioned specifics but um is there like a price range if like if somebody was thinking about getting uh burning their prairie what is the money this is the ugly part of it what they, is so the the business side of it yeah. um and mother nature is all business so to do the burn first you got to get a permit from in, in illinois you get a permit from the state that takes a little while then you have to get local permissions sometimes it's the local fire department sometimes it's the uh um, down to like a, a subdivision, you know, the, the board has to agree sure. that they want the burn. Right. Um, get your permissions. Then we do our notifications um, based uh, on our prescription. So we write a prescription saying we're going to do it on a day with this kind of wind and this relative humidity range. And these are the things we want to happen. Okay. And then... Typically, we don't go out on a burn unless we have a crew of six, but typically they're eight, maybe sometimes ten people. Mm -hmm. um, safety is the first concern. I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice safety for uh, you know ecological diversity. Right. Uh, but uh, you know that's, I'm going to guess a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment to do a burn, bring out oh, okay. trucks and ATVs. Right. And the ATVs have specialized sprayers on them to be able to, uh, um, you know, apply water at the proper rate if, yeah. to keep the fire in, in bounds. Because we're lighting it and we're trying not to fight it. Um, sometimes they do a jump the, the, a break, but you want to make sure that you suppress it right away. So there's lots of equipment. Um, training, the minimum training is a three-day um, course uh, based on the federal government's uh, National Wildfire Coordinating mm -hmm. Group. Um, all of our employees have to have that. Right. I don't use any volunteers. I don't use any off-duty firemen. These are all my employees. So they're all covered by Workman's Comp and they're all covered by my general liability. 
uh, I sit on the state board that, that certifies burn managers, and mm. every burn is attended, planned and attended by a certified prescribed burn manager. And then, uh, so that, that can range, our minimum is $4,500 to do a burn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I can burn a lot of acreage in a day, because right. you're buying my crew for a day. Because at the time we burn, the temperature's down here and the humidity's high at this time of year. As the temperature rises, the humidity drops. Once you hit that relationship where you get about 50%, 55% relative humidity, all of those fuels, the leaves and, and grasses, and uh, dry out, and they get to the point that they're burnable. Even in the industry, yeah, this, this, this irks me to no end, is that there are people that are like, oh, it's just a prairie fire. Hmm. I, t- I teach prescribed fire. Right. And I tell people, like, when they come into the first day of class, and I'm like, anybody think they can outrun that? And I show them a video. Of them. And then, yeah, I'm like, hold on. And I'll, get, I'll get, like, a thing looks like a body bag, and I'll say, I, I want to write your name on here. <laughs> right. Because you'll never outrun that. I yeah. said, you'll be dead. And anybody in this room comfortable around fire, and you usually get one person, I'll go, I don't want to work with you. Yeah, okay. I said, still to this day, and I've been doing this for 35 years, fire still scares the hell out of me and fire makes me nervous and if you do that if you become you know aware situationally aware then you can be safe and i guess jason uh, how many how many fires how many of these burns have you done or oh man uh god it's got to be getting close to 20 now okay yeah, yeah. and we- that's just two seasons so you're totally not afraid of fire now. You're totally... No, like he says, I've been on crews where everything's been done correctly. Yeah. And it jumps and the wind shifts. And I have felt a heat like none other on the back of my neck before. We did a <laughs> burn at uh, Springbrook Nature Center. Just all cattails and frags. Pushed it out and there was probably 50 foot flames coming off of the... Wow. Uh, 355 traffic stopped. They, there was a hundred calls to the fire department. Just uh, and, and you know we, we notify the fire department. The fire department's like, no, it's controlled burn. We right. understand. I saw and, you had signs out when you were doing it. Yeah, don't we, call the fire lots, department. Lots, 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 lots of signs, signage on the road. Yeah. Anybody who has any questions, comments, how can they contact you? Get a hold of me. Uh, my uh, email is Jack P at Pizzo. Dot info and that's p-i-z-z-o dot i-n-f-o and send me an email i love answering questions we really appreciate it this was an eye-opening tactile experience for for all the senses it was really incredible to be out there well, see well, and, and jason you know the, the the voice that our listeners have come to love seeing him out there in his fireman's uniform <laughs> see, public radio fireman calendar if that such a thing existed <laughs> i think you would be march for sure we all, <laughs> we all wear many hats, right? Yep. Huge thanks to Jack Pizzo and his crew for letting us feel the heat of a prairie fire in the safest way possible. Don't try it yourself. And thanks to our crew, Dan Woodman, Jared Ortega, and Spencer Tripp. I'm Susan Stevens. And remember, Under Rocks is always looking for the next weird and interesting story to tell in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin. Email us at rocks at niu.edu. And subscribe to the Under Rocks podcast. It's free wherever you stream podcasts. Under Rocks is produced by WNIJ at Northern Illinois University. 